0: I am thankful for your world, created in beauty, for your love, given abundantly, for your provision, accepted daily. I am thankful. by nails for your back bruised and torn. Lord, I am so thankful. I say thank you, Lord, by serving the hurting, by feeding the hungry, by encouraging the It is amazing to be part of your body, to act as your hand and feet, to bend my back in service to you, Lord. I am so thankful.
1: Well, good morning. Isn't that a great video? And by the way, that's what Operation Christmas Child is about, in case you're wondering. You know, it's an opportunity for us to say thank you, God, in a very tangible way when we help someone else around this world who does not know him and who is hurting. Bill, let me know. There'll be more boxes. In fact, there are more boxes at the back if you didn't get as many as you needed, and there's still a few brochures up here. We want you to have every opportunity to participate. Well, we've been speaking about, and very appropriately, we've been speaking about the idea of gratitude last week and this week and next week. We've been calling it kind of like the G-force, the force of gratitude. And today I want to talk about a message, a topic that began about a year ago. I was listening to Andy Stanley preach, and he preached on this topic, and it really stuck in my heart. And I determined that next year, now today, that I would take the opportunity and share this Uh, with, with my people, because it really just spoke to my heart so big. And it's the kind of message, now listen, are you listening? It's the kind of message that if you're not careful, you'll gloss over it. You'll gloss right over it. This one is a game changer. This one is a life changer if it's applied in your life. I promise you that. Now what you're looking at is one of the ugliest words in the English language. Ungrateful. No one really wants to be told they're ungrateful. It, it's one of those things when somebody walks up and says, you, you're just ungrateful. It really just, it, it's like a knife in the heart. And, and what that does is, because, because it's so hard to hear, and frankly, very hard to see. You just, I can see it in your life, and you can see it in mine, but we have a real hard time actually seeing it in ourselves. And because of that, when someone says, you're ungrateful, okay, the first thing that happens is, your defense mechanism kicks in. And you start thinking of everything you can about how grateful you really are. You think about, well, I said thank you for that, and I said thank you for this, and I told that person that. And we build up our case, and we go, see, you're wrong. I'm really a grateful person. And that's what makes it kind of hard for us to see because of that defense mechanism. But like I said, this is way important. Now, I'll tell you, I kind of leave the groundwork, and I'll tell you why it's important. You see, the truth is, is that gratitude Fosters generosity. Isn't that true? Gratitude fosters generosity. When you do something for someone. And they are so grateful. We call it gushing in the Taylor household. When they gush. You want to do more. It's just a natural thing. I mean mean, when a person gushes in gratitude. It just opens up your generosity faucet. And you want to do more and more and more and more. And yet. The opposite is true. That when someone is ungrateful. It shuts down The generosity. Now, this is not a lesson about how you all say thank you necessarily because your mama wants you to. This is a lesson about what ingratitude, being ungrateful, can do to our relationships. Because you're going to find out today that even in our relationships, when we learn to say thank you, we are grateful. It opens up generosity. The person in your family is more generous towards you. And that can, guys, when you mess up with your wife, that can pay big dividends. But the opposite is also true. That when we live in families where we're so slow to say thank you and and express authentic gratitude, it shuts down the relationship. And that leads to big, big trouble. Now, we've got a story today that I have preached several times in the past, over 28 years. I know I have. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 17, starting in verse number 11, it's an incredible story about some guys who received something from Jesus and what one of them did and what nine did not do. And in this, we're going to see this principle that we're going to talk about halfway through the message, all right? So let's look at the Scriptures first, and then we'll come back and we're going to make some comments at the end. Luke chapter 17, verse number 11 through 19. The Bible says this. While traveling to Jerusalem, he... Now, I bet you know who the he is. It's capital H-E. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. And notice, where's he going? He's traveling to Jerusalem. Just a pause, just a time out. This is not any trip to Jerusalem. This is the trip to Jerusalem. He knows, as the Son of God, that he is going to Jerusalem at that point Motion will be put put in place that will cause his death. He is going to die for the sins of all mankind. This is the trip to Jerusalem. Now, I just want to ask you this. If you are going, if you're on a journey, and you're going to your death, wouldn't you kind of be focusing on yourself and kind of self-centered? I would. I'll be honest with you. I I would be thinking about me. I want you to notice that Jesus did not. You're going to see in just a moment, even though he's on his way to Jerusalem to die, he always thought of others. And I think that makes the actions of the story even magnified, okay? So he's going to Jerusalem, and he's passing between Samaria and Galilee, kind of along the border of those two areas. As he entered a a village, ten men with serious skin diseases, met him. Now, once again, I like the Holman Christian Standard, but I just kind of wish they had gone ahead and thrown the leper card out, because that's what it is. In in the New King James, many the translations, it's leprosy, okay? So there are ten men, and they have leprosy, all right? And the Bible says they stood at a distance, raising their voices. Now, let me kind of explain that. In, In biblical times, when you were a leper, okay, then there's a couple things you need to know. First off, you were excommunicated from everything. You, you were put outside the, the village. Of course, you could not go to the synagogue. You were not allowed to have intimate contact with your family. People would bring you out at certain times and bring you food, but you are totally an outcast of society. Secondly this, you're dying. Leprosy had no cure. Lepers were often called the walking dead. So here are these ten men... They've been shunned totally by their families. They've been shunned by society. And they are going to die. And off at a distance, because again, if you're a leper, you had to ring a bell. You had to walk around going, unclean, unclean, and warn the people so they would stay away from you. They would really Part the waters let you through, because they didn't want to catch leprosy. Of course, now we know it's not contagious. But back then, they thought that it was. So, So we have these men, and they holler at Jesus and say, Jesus! Master, have mercy on us. Now somehow they had heard of who Jesus was. We don't know how. But they had heard and they knew that Jesus had helped others in a similar situation. There was a hopeless situation and Jesus could bring hope. There was a situation that seemed to have no end in total darkness and Jesus could bring light into that situation. They had heard this. And so they begin to holler from a distance, Hey, Jesus, would you have mercy? And we, when they're saying mercy, they're saying this, Give us something we don't deserve. These guys really had no right to ask for this. They were simply saying, You have the ability, and we're asking you out have the kindness of your heart, to give us a healing. Now, remember now, he's on his way to Jerusalem. I love it when the Bible says this. I know it's just, it's just two small words, but when he saw them, Are you glad today that Jesus saw you? Now I know, uh, know, we're having cardboard testimony next week and I'll make an announcement at the end of the service. But when Jesus saw me, I was a lying hypocrite. I would stand up before people and lead a group in worship on Sunday morning. I would tell them how much I loved Jesus, a Jesus that I did not even know. I would sing about hope for heaven and had no hope for heaven. It was a great gig. Everybody thought highly of me but I was lying hypocrite that's when Jesus saw me and i don't know where you were when jesus saw you maybe maybe drugs or alcohol totally possessed your life maybe you were in the third broken marriage and jesus came in and radically changed your life i don't know but i do know this that when he saw us we were all sinners without hope and whether you call yourself way moral or way immoral that was the case but jesus saw us. And when he saw them, the Bible says, he, he said to them, he hollered, at, everybody hollered at lepers, he hollered at them and said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Go and show. Now I need to explain what that means. Go and show yourselves to the priest. So every once in a while, and really there's no rhyme or reason, Ryan, but every once in a while a leper would be healed. All of a sudden, he would wake up and things looked a little bit better, okay? And then eventually it would heal. And what he had to do was, he had to go to the priest, okay? And as he went to the priest, the priest would examine him and declare him clean. And then he could return back to society. So Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest. What's the problem? They've got nothing to show the priest. At this point, they're still full of leprosy, Brent. What is Jesus asking them to do? Something he asked us to do, have faith. Before they were healed, he said, I want you to go show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, as they went, they were healed. See, we serve a God of faith, and we've got to figure that out. We are saved by grace through faith, and the life we live after Jesus Christ's church is through faith. It's not through sight. We can't look down the road and see always what God has planned. But he says, Trust me, trust me, trust me. And basically Jesus is saying to these guys, Okay, you want to be healed? Trust me. And exercise in that trust your faith. Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, sure enough, they were healed. And then this is where the story really gets interesting. Okay? The Bible says, in verse 15, one of them, how many? One of them. Now now there were ten. So one of them, 10%, 1 in 10, okay? One of them, seeing that he was healed, returned. He felt compelled to go back, and with a loud voice, now watch this, I thought this was kind of cool, he gave glory to God. So as as this guy sees he's healed, he's compelled to return to Jesus Christ, and as he's going, he's saying, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. But it doesn't stop there. Because the Bible says when he gets to Jesus, he fell face down, prostrate on the ground, at his feet, and began thanking him. Do you see the parallel there? Do you see the connection? Thank God, and then he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. Somehow, they, he began to equate that Jesus was no ordinary rabbi. Jesus was not ordinary teacher. Jesus and God were connected. In fact, he was the Son of of God. So the man fell down and began worshiping him and thanking him. And here's the real twist. He was a Samaritan. That wasn't too long ago you heard about Samaritans. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. A Samaritan was considered a half-breed okay, by the Jews. They had intermingled with the Gentiles and they were more than second-class citizens. They were garbage and trash in the eyes of a Jew. And then we see the Samaritan returning to a Jewish rabbi teacher, falling down his feet saying, thank you. Thank you. And then, here's the crux of the matter. The Bible says, then Jesus said, verse 17, were not ten cleansed? Now, can can I go back a minute? Because if you don't get this, you'll miss it. You know, if someone holds the door open for you, you say, see, your mama taught you good. Someone holds the door, you think. But let's be honest. Probably in a month, you will remember the fact that do, that person opened the door for you. But what if you're down to your last meal and you got five kids? And someone knocks on your door and says, Here's some groceries to feed your family. That person's name might stick in your crawl for quite a while. Would you say amen? You'll remember that long before you remember someone holding the door open for you. These guys were given their life back. These guys were outcasts. They couldn't see their sons. They couldn't see their daughters. They couldn't see the wives. They, they could not worship in the temple. And Jesus gave that back to them. And, and then, then Jesus says, We're not ten cleansed? Didn't I make a life change in ten people? Didn't I radically impact the lives of ten people? And he says it. Where are the nine? Where are the other nine people that I impacted their lives? It's incredible. Now here's what I want you to note. It was not uncommon for people not to thank Jesus. I mean, sometimes it's recorded, but it wasn't uncommon for a person just to take a hike, move on. These guys were moving on with life. That wasn't that uncommon. But what draws attention to this is what? The one who came back. The reason we're having this conversation today is because of the one. And it really sparks this emotional response because of the one. Come on, come on, be honest. Weren't you just a little bit before you even knew the story? Weren't you just a little bit going, those nine, I can't believe it. How could they be so, so, so filled with ingratitude? How could they not return to Jesus? Of course, we forget how many times God does these incredible things for us, and we forget to even say thank you. It's truth. I mean, it's just the truth. But because of the one coming back, we're having this conversation today because it made such a huge difference. In his life, they came back and worshipped. And this is so cool. Jesus says to them, no one's returned except for this, this Samaritan. The one most likely not to return did. And he told him, get up, go on your way, your faith has made you well. And that guy walked away with something else. The nine, and most commentaries will support this, the nine were healed. The tenth, was healed and walked away with a relationship with God the others did not have. When he said, your faith has made you well, your faith has made you whole, because you exercised that faith, you need to know it's your faith that did that, but you're walking away a totally different man. Something the nine never got. Now, can I speak up for the nine? You mind if I just defend the nine for a moment? I don't know this, but let me propose something to you. Is it possible, Blake, is it possible that those nine, as they went their way, were going, can you believe this? How incredible it is. We asked Jesus to heal us, and he did. How incredible is that? Man, I just tell you what, can you not even imagine just for a moment that when they got to the priest, and the priest sees these nine guys show up. And what happened? We met this rabbi named Jesus, and he healed us. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is great. I think that's feasible. Don't you think that's feasible? Come on. I think, okay, that probably happened. But I want you to notice, they're doing that. They're going down the road, saying, yay, Jesus. Wow. Whoa, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, you're incredible. But Jesus is back. He's going Weren't weren't there ten healed? Where are the nine? See, they told the priests, and they told each other, and they eventually would tell their families, and and they'd be sitting around the Thanksgiving table. Well, there really wasn't Thanksgiving, but but if there was, talking about how great Jesus was, they just never told Jesus. And here's the principle that is so powerful on the top of your page. Look at your sermon sheet if you've got one that's in your bulletin. If you don't, write the, if you don't remember anything else, take this is what grabbed my heart a year ago. Here's the principle. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude communicates. In gratitude. I'm certain they went along and they were, they were just they felt gratitude. They talked of gratitude. They talked about Jesus. They told everyone but Jesus. And Jesus is back going, weren't there ten? Where are the nine? Now isn't that kind of true with our relationships? Don't we don't we tell our golf partner what an incredible wife we have? Don't you tell your your beauty operator ladies what a great husband you have? We just never tell them. And often in our relationships, the person we're married to, our parents, students, students, your parents, your children, we just never share with them. And consequently... When when gratitude is not communicated, it comes across as ingratitude. And by the way, can I just can I throw the spiritual card out? Don't we do this with God? We we tell, oh, I you know, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? But do we ever tell God that? Do we ever stop and pause and say, God? Now, we're quick to tell God what He hasn't done. Amen? But do we tell God what He has done? Do you thank God regularly that because of that and the Savior who hung on it, that you'll never go to hell? Do you thank God regularly for the blessings of life that you have? And again, the, it's just a boatload. No matter, regardless of your health, regardless of your economic situation, the truth is we are a blessed people. But we don't often tell God that. We don't communicate to others either this hugely important truth. Now, this is, you're going to see this get progressively more important as we go. So, so when gratitude is not expressed, it comes across as ingratitude. Now, here's something you need to know if you're following your sermon sheet. Unexpressed gratitude feels like rejection. When we fail to say thank you, to a person, it comes across as reject, rejection. I can only promise you that Judy did not pay me to say this. Nor any other woman in this building. But this is so clearly illustrated generally speaking in a marriage and with the wife-mother situation. Let's do this. Your wife gets off early from work. She's got a couple extra hours. So she goes by the grocery store and, and makes this meal, this mega meal of everybody's favorites. I mean, you know, if it's fried chicken and mashed potatoes and country holy ghost green beans, just awesome. And then even takes the time to, buy or to make a pecan pie. She's in there slaving away. The the husband's over here watching the the television. The kids are over here on the computer. And finally it's done. And here she goes. Supper's ready. 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 No one moves. Y'all come. 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 And she's going, What's up? I slave in the kitchen, and he won't leave the television, and they won't leave the computer. So she finally goes into the living room and says, Frank, I'm not going to use me as an example. Frank, supper's ready. Would you please come to the table? Would you please get the kids? And you just hear the rejection in her voice. So they finally, they, they leave that, they come in, and they, and, you know, Frank reaches for the, the, no, not Frank, our Frank. This is some Frank that goes to the Methodist Church. Okay? <laughs> All right? So, so Frank reaches for the remote, sees her eyes, and says, well, I'll mute it. And then the, the family just, just eating machine. It's great. And then one by one, you know, sometimes you're taught to say, excuse me, sometimes you're not, and they leave. Frank goes back to the television. The kids go back to the computer. And gee, the wife is sitting at the table with the dishes and the mess, wondering why in the world she even, even cried. Now, if we to pause for a moment. Let's go back to the table. Frank is wolfing it down. Frank! Isn't this incredible that your wife made this meal? Oh, yeah, I, isn't she a great wife? I just can't believe it. The kids, oh, yeah, mom's just great. All this meal. But they never told mom. And mom is feeling like this tall. Mom's heart is shutting down because this ingratitude. And Frank, who was never really smart... That's why, never mind, that's why he went to another church, but but we won't go there. But, But Frank goes in and says, honey, is anything wrong? He's glad the knives are not next to her. And what happened? They were grateful, they just didn't communicate it. And it feels like rejection to the wife. Now, come on, guys. Not every, not every guy's the provider, but you feel it, too. You know, your kids finally get to be teenagers. Hey, Dad, I need $10 for this. Dad, I need a car. Dad, I need new jeans. Dad, I need. Dad, I need. Dad, I need. And you feel like an ATM machine. And your kids, if, if you were to see the kids at school, they'd say, Oh, yeah, man, I've, I've got the greatest old man in the world. Oh, my dad, he's cool, boy. He, yeah, i got these shoes. My dad got them for me. But you never tell dad. And dad feels rejection. And I've got to think in suspicion. Sometimes we parents do it to the students. When one day they, like, you know, like on a whim, they decide to clean the room without being begged. And you walk in, you never even make a comment. Now, you tell the husband, you say, oh, yeah, can you believe Susie cleaned her room? But we forget to tell Susie how incredible that was that she did that. And it leads, and it feels like rejection. Can you see what I'm talking about today? Come on, can you hear it? Now here's the big deal. You are hurting. Say hurting. Say hurting louder. You're hurting the ones you love. You're hurting the ones you love. To you, it's not a big deal because you're often oblivious of it. This person's heart is about to break. They feel rejection. Now, it's going to get even. It's going to get more narrow. I'm going to tell you why this is so important. Look at the next point. Unexpressed gratitude can have the same effects as rejection. There, there's a real danger in this. Now, we men won't admit this as readily as the ladies will, but we are acceptance magnets. We pull toward acceptance. Okay? We pull toward acceptance. You know, guys don't play sports they're not good at. You know why? Winning feels like acceptance. Losing feels like rejection. We are acceptance magnets. We do what we're successful at. But here's the deal: If we're acceptance magnets and we're pulled toward what makes us feel right, what we feel appreciated, what does unexpressed gratitude do? It pushes us in the opposite direction. Where where do they go? If 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 your husband or your wife or your children are not sensing your appreciation, and if, if if we're acceptance magnets, they're going to go somewhere else for that acceptance. And I've told you this, guys, I'll tell you again, just in case you ain't got it. There are plenty of jerks out there who work where your wife works or works out where she works out. Or buys groceries where she buys groceries. And they will more than gladly tell her how great she is. And when your wife is in this rejection mode, she's being pushed, she needs acceptance, something else will pull her. And Satan will gladly send a jerk along to do the job. And ladies, it's true too. You Again, it's just more obvious for the ladies. But I've got to know that Judy believes in me. I've got to know that. And your husband has got to know that you believe in him. If he doesn't get that home, he's probably crazy enough to go find it somewhere else. And there's some jerkette where he works, where he works out, where he plays golf, who will more than gladly tell him what a great guy he is. You know, get acceptance. You see why this is so big now? This is not just, you know, close the loop. You know, you get a new football for your birthday. What do you say? It's not about politeness. It's about relationship survival. This this has got to be one of the reasons so many marriages are in such deep trouble. Dad, your daughter craves your acceptance. Your, your son craves your acceptance. And if you don't get it, if you don't give it to him, he'll go somewhere else. And somewhere out there, dad, is a 17-year-old jerk who will take advantage of your daughter who's looking for acceptance. And somewhere out there is 23 guys in a gang who will accept him And when we don't show appreciation, we're pushing people in areas we do not want them to go. Amen? This is huge, guys. Don't gloss over it. This is not about saying thank you for the football. This might well save your marriage. This may well save your family. And may well save you. I've got written down the note sheet and I don't want it to seem so simple, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I've had a year to mess with this, and Judy would tell you, I'm still not good at it. This woman washes my underwear. This woman cleans my bathroom. She cooks incredible meals. And I try to say, especially, I do good with the meals, because I love food. But I don't very often go, gee, thanks for cleaning my toilet. She said, she this is... She bought a big old basket of whites and says, The underf- underwear fairy's here.
0: <laughs>
1: I probably shouldn't have said it on the radio, should I? <laughs> you know, she does that. And when you say thank you. And, and, and ladies, the dads too. I mean, I clean her car out. You know, I do things like that. And we all need to, we need to recognize the things that people do and express gratitude. Because unexpressed gratitude comes across as ingratitude. So so how does it it get started? How how does it it happen? Well, look at the next point. Ingratitude often finds its root in pride. So often we we come across with, I deserve this. I'm the pastor. I'm the boss. I'm I'm the man of the house. Andy Stanley put it this way. He said, To live without paying my debt of gratitude is to have an inflated view of myself. Let me tell you something. None of us got where we are without someone else. None of us got where we are without someone else. And so often, we had this sense about us that people owe us this. And they don't. Students, your parents don't owe you an allowance, a car when you turn 16. They don't owe you anything. I told my kids that. Write this down. There's a two-step process. One is, there's a sense of entitlement. There's a sense of entitlement. That somehow, because of the relationship or whatever... You're entitled to certain things. We live in a nation, people built that they believe they're entitled to things. Entitled to death. That's the first step. So so once we get the entitlement down, then there's the expectation. You're supposed to wash my clothes. You're supposed to wash my car. You're supposed to buy me an iPod. You're supposed to make sure I have a cell phone when I turn 12. 11, 10, 9. And we teach our kids first an entitlement, and then there's this expectation. And if you don't meet that expectation, you're a jerk. And God says pride. It's rooted in pride. I don't care who you are. You didn't get where you are by yourself. Think the ones. And that's the last point. We need to learn to return. Learn to return. Going back to the scripture, we need to learn to be the one that went back and thank Jesus. Come on now. We need to be the one. Did you notice the majority, Brent, you see it? Nine didn't. And that's the vast majority of society. When you choose to be the one, you're going against the flow. When when you, when you choose to be the one, you're going down the narrow road, which, by the way, Jesus highly suggests. The one. Be the one. Be willing to go back and thank the ones who enabled you to move forward. Go back and thank the ones who enabled you to move forward. Students, college, if your mom and dad were able to put you through college, let them know. Thank you. Tell your friends, but tell them. And if you're fortunate enough to have an automobile and you're 16, you've got a car to drive, don't say, yeah, but he's got a new one. I was a 61 Rambler. And back when I was driving, that was old. It didn't have floorboards. We had plywood in the floorboards. It had more bondo than body. And it was painted with a paintbrush, royal blue with a yellow racing stripe. But I was the only guy in the youth group with a car. I was popular. Oh, did I mention the rod was knocking in the engine? Mom and Dad provided. Well, my sister gave it, but they said yes. Let them know. Let your wife be the one to say thank you, honey. And that way when the jerk at the office says thank you, honey, she won't give a second thought because her man's telling her thank you. And, and your husband, when the woman talks about at work, well, he won't give a second thought because his, his woman, his sweetheart, is affirming him at home. And when cows have good green grass in the pasture... They don't go on the other side. And of course, we're learning that the grass ain't always greener. Ingratitude communicates a lack of gratitude. When we when we don't when we fail to say fail to say thanks, we communicate ingratitude, and impacts our relationship. Now, does someone have a bulletin? You guys got a bulletin down here. Gee, you got a bulletin? I Got the card. If you look on your bulletin today, there's something that looks like this. Everybody got theirs? We have some more of these at the front. We run three hundred bulletins, so there's plenty. Uh, if you need to get one. What I want you to do is I want you to take this card. And I want you to put it in your bathroom mirror. I want you to put it in your wallet. I want you to carry it if you want to put it in your wallet and carry it around. And every once in a while, I want you to pull it out and it says, I owe question mark. I owe question mark. Who do you have that you have a debt of gratitude you haven't paid? Who comes to your mind right now that there's a debt of gratitude that you haven't paid this car will remind you to pay the debt? This reminds you to say thank you for the big things and the small things. And I've got a stinking suspicion that in a marriage where both or all six, if there's children, if there's an atmosphere of expressed gratitude, it impacts the whole family. And maybe that's why, on the back side of the card, maybe that's why it says this, First Thessalonians five eighteen. This is God's Word. Read it with me if you've got the card. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Maybe Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, knew the power of gratitude. Can I throw something else out to you? Now, God doesn't need anything from us, He doesn't need your money. And He'll get along fine even without that's your time. But God craves. If God can crave anything, in fact, that's why we were created. We are created to have fellowship and worship Him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If God the Father can smile, and I know He's spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. But if God could smile, He smiles when His children say thank you. He smiles. His children says thank you, and when you pepper your prayer and your walk daily with thanks be to God, it's got to make him smile. And you know what? It's gonna make your wife smile. (laughs) And when Mama's happy, everybody's happy. (laughs) And when Mama ain't, look out. out. It'll make your husband smile. It'll make your kids smile. It can change your life. And I'm already thinking how I can take it home and how I can apply it further. I, you know, Again, we've had the conversations. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be very candid with you. Some areas I've made some progress. Some areas I haven't. I, I want to sit down with Judy and talk. I say, talk. I'm a man. We don't talk. I talk with Judy and say, Judy, how, how can I better express my gratitude to you? And oh, by the way, Thank you for being the underwear fairy. Thank you that because of you, when I pull my drawer open, there's whites. Hey, hey, thank you, when I go to my sock drawer, there's socks. Thanks, G. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Will you be the one who returns? Would you bow your head? I don't know what God wants to do today. I, actually, I do know what He wants to do. He wants us to buy this today. He wants us to buy into this today. Give thanks and everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He believes it. That's what He wants to do. But you know, you might be here today and you've never come into a relationship with God. You know, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the greatest way to say thank you, God, for that, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's the way. That's the way. That's the way. So that would be part of the... Decision time today. If you want to know about a God who loved you so much, He allowed His Son to die, actually sent His Son to die, Brent will be down here, my friend Brent, and we'd be glad to share with you about how you can know Jesus Christ. It's incredible. It's not not church. It's not Baptist. It's Jesus. And it's incredible. Moms, dads, students, children, would you remember this one? Would you take that card and put it in your wallet, put it on your dashboard, put it on your bathroom mirror, and always seek to pay your debt of gratitude. Always be the one who goes back and thanks those who enabled you to move forward. The altar will be open. If you'd like to come down and pray, Uh, that would certainly be a great thing. You may want to just lean over today and, and thank someone standing next to you. It might be your wife. It might be your husband. It might be your children. Maybe someone else that just did something for you and you fail to say thank you, might be a good time to do that. Now, Father, we love you today. Your word's so incredible. It just seems like you thought of everything. Of all the stories that, that Dr. Luke could have recorded, Jesus, he, he did this one. And we learn this important, important truth because of the One who went back. For my friend here, who's not part of the family of God because because God, He's never had forgiveness of sins. Would He come today and learn about Jesus and how that forgiveness is available? For every husband, wife, mom, and dad, and student, and child here, I pray, including the guy who's saying the prayer, that God, You would burn this in our hearts, that we may apply it and enjoy the fruitfulness of a life filled with gratitude. Have your way, Jesus. And I pray in your precious name. Amen.